All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through verse 42, Luke 6, verse 37 through 42, and, and let's pray. Father, we come before you, we do lift up our community to you, God, and we pray for the message of Christ, that you, Jesus, dying for our sins and rising again would get out, and Lord, that's our banner, that's our anthem, and Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us. Lord, we thank you that you're calling us to a different way of living. We pray that you would bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, also Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. It's radical. It's a different way of living. It's the Beatitudes. It's the attitudes that Christ wants us to have. And it's the opposite of the me-attitudes. It's the exact opposite of what my sinful flesh desires, but yet Jesus is calling us to live this way. The Sermon on the Mount does two things. It humbles us to the point where we see our need for Jesus for salvation. Jesus says, be perfect as my Father is perfect. Wow, that's a tall order, tall stack of pancakes, and it brings us to our place of I need the forgiveness of God that can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we're also humbled because Jesus says, if you hear these sayings and do them, you're like the man who built his house upon the rock. Christ wants us living out these teachings, and we absolutely can't do it apart from the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount is built upon being poor in spirit. That's the first beatitude that was given to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When we are spiritually bankrupt before the Lord, when we realize there's no good thing in us, it gives us the humility to come into the kingdom by faith. And we continue to walk in a place of being poor in spirit. Without being poor in spirit, these attitudes, these attributes cannot be developed in our lives. The next understanding that just seems to be so foundational in the Sermon on the Mount is understanding God's mercy. There's a whole section here in Luke chapter 6 that focuses on God's mercy. We're exhorted, we're challenged to be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. Do you you know that your Father in heaven is, is merciful? Have you experienced his mercy Are you currently experiencing his mercy, his grace? When we come into contact with the grace of the Father, the mercy of the Father, then this causes us to be merciful with others. Even to our enemies, to to love our enemies. As we talk about those that are opposed to the message of Christ, opposed to God's message on life, opposed to God's message on sexuality, do we love them? Do we turn the other cheek? Are we desiring for them to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord? And this way of mercy is hard to get into my thick head. So I taught this message on mercy this weekend, Saturday night, Sunday morning at 9 and 11. And oftentimes I'm tested on the things that I'm teaching. And I should see that coming, but I just fail so many times. And I was all geared up when I left here Sunday about God's mercy. And then I went to my son's flag football game. And I'm 
sitting on the sidelines at about five o'clock and it's second half. It's a great game, a lot of fun. Fifth grade boys just having a great time going back and forth. It was a shootout. One team would score, the other team would score. And the other team has the ball and they're coming down to the end zone where Amber and I are sitting. And Wyatt's team pulls the flag just before the end zone. And I'm excited, leaping for joy. And the ref, for some reason, called it a touchdown. And he's a high school kid. And he comes over to like where all the parents are and the coach. And we're, we're like, oh, you know, whatever. And, and I, I'm getting into it. Like, and I wanted justice. You know, like in that moment, like mercy was gone. Like I forgot all about what I just shared a, a, about mercy, right? And I'm like, I get done with all that. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm such a knucklehead, you know? It's like, if I was in the spirit, I probably would have just been like, that was a terrible call, but God bless you, right? Like, it. but I just, I just wanted justice. And if I'm honest, my flesh wants justice for others, but I want worse mercy for me. And in this discussion of, of mercy, Jesus gets the heart of it, of this plank that's in our eye and removing the plank that is in our eye. And this is scary. We may not even see the sin that's so obvious to God and obvious to others. So let's look in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. If you're taking notes, write this down. Discernment and confrontation is not judgment. And the reason that we have to clarify this is because so many people say, quit judging me when we're confronted with sin. Do you know the gospel confronts us with sin? We're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Part of sharing the gospel is loving someone enough to let them know that we're sinners and we need to be saved by grace. As brothers and sisters in Christ, if, if we know that a brother or sister is in sin and it's blatant and we care about them, we're going to go to them in humility and confront them. And that's not condemnation. In fact, that's love. Discernment is not condemnation. Jesus taught us to know them by their fruits, that know that they're sheep wandering around in wolves' clothing, or wolves wandering around in sheep's clothing, the other way around. You have to be able to discern that. So what is judgment? Judgment is trying to place on someone that final stamp of condemnation. And that's not our place. If, if we know the mercy of God, if we're in a place where we're poor in spirit, then we're not going to be going around placing that final judgment on people inside of mercy to be in a place where we forgive. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And this continues in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. A lot of people use verse 38 out of context to quote some abused verse on giving. If, if you give financially $100, it's going to be given back to you and just expect a multiplication. That, that's not why we give financially. <laughs> we give because we're led to. We we're, we're give because we're called to. What is verse 38 talking about? It's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about mercy. So this is point number two, is give what you desire to receive. 
Do you desire to receive forgiveness when you sin? And we're going to sin. Do we want our family members, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ to extend forgiveness to us? Then we need to be proactive in giving forgiveness. We need to be proactive in giving mercy. Oh, I know there's probably been a ton of times in my life when I have made the wrong call, like that referee, right? And how do I want people treating me when I make the, the wrong call? Hopefully in mercy, right? So what do I want to receive? And a lot of times we get really upset at the way people are treating us, but we, we fail to really realize, what am I giving out? You know, what, what am I giving to those that are, are closest to me? So what is it that I really desire to receive? Then that's what I should give. Give what you desire to receive. And he spoke a parable to them saying, can the blind lead the blind? Will they both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. This is so important. We talked a little bit about it on Saturday and Sunday. It's just that you would choose your teachers carefully. There's a lot of deception that's out there. There's a lot of deception in Jesus' name. And Jesus says it's like the blind leading the blind. And that's why you want Jesus to be your teacher. That's why you want Jesus to be your Lord. That's why you want God's word to be the authority in, in your life. Nothing, nothing less. And we get to verse 41. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Number three is don't focus on others' sin. In this way of mercy, this way of removing the plank out of our own eye, is why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? In Jesus' illustration, this person's got the plank in their own eye, but they're focused over here on the speck in their brother's or sister's eye. And this is, unfortunately, the way that our sinful flesh is, is we tend to notice just the sin in other people's lives so quickly. So it's so easy for us to, to spot. You, know, you could probably go through your immediate family and, and go, man, this, this is the way that they really struggle and this is their sin that, that really irritates me. You, you get into a small group and you're enjoying the fellowship, but all of a sudden you, you start to see everybody's sin and you can point it out and your coworkers with unbelievers, you, you know their sin, you know their shortcomings, and it bothers you, it bothers me. And before you know it, that's what we're focused on. We get up every day and we're focused on other people's sin. We're not focused on Christ being the solution for sin. We're not focused on our, our own sin. So don't be focused on the speck in your, your brother's eye and fail to see the plank that is in your own eye. And this is the fourth, is it's easy to live in self-deception. It's easy to live in, in self-deception. Jesus here is nailing us, isn't he? Where we can be this person, I can be this person, where I'm seeing the speck in others' eyes, but I'm failing to see the plank in my own eye. King David has Nathan the prophet come visit him. And Nathan says, we've got a poor man in his kingdom that all he had was this young lamb, treated this lamb like a pet. 
maybe the kids called it Lammy, <laughs> has a wealthy, rich neighbor, has lots of livestock. And the wealthy neighbor has a guest come. And instead of killing one of his own lambs, he goes to his poor neighbor, takes the lamb, kills Lammy, serves it up to his company. David gets so angry. Scriptures say he's, he's irate. And he says that that man should die. That, that that man should have to pay the ultimate price for, for what he's done. And he really gives a judgment that is far worse than what God's law had prescribed. God says if you stole something, you had to repay it. And in that moment, Nathan the prophet, through God's leading, looks at David and says, you're the man. You, you are that man because... You see, David had taken Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, to himself. Here he is, the king. But yet he goes and takes Bathsheba to himself and commits adultery. Goes on to plot a scheme to have Uriah killed in battle. He killed Uriah. But David went this period of time until he's confronted without dealing with the plank in his own eye. But he was so upset by this rich man who stole his neighbor's young lamb. He didn't see his own sin. He was walking in self-deception. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So God's instruction to us is you don't perceive this plank that is in your own eye. It's important for us to go before the Lord in this discussion of the Sermon on the Mount, being poor in spirit, understanding God's mercy, starting to extend God's mercy, and saying, Lord, would you help me to see the sin that I'm not aware of? And that's a scary prayer to pray, but it's so freeing. Because remember, when we get to a place of conviction and repentance and confession, that's when healing comes. That's when forgiveness comes. That's when transformation of our character comes. In Psalms 139, this is the prayer of David. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalms 139 is this beautiful song of God knowing us, of God having this most personal an intimate knowledge of us. And David's response of, of God, you know me, is I ask that you would search me. And this is very different than us doing self-examination, which the Bible does teach us to do, to where we comb through our hearts and our lives and we're aware of this sin and we confess that to the Lord, absolutely. But we give the Holy Spirit permission to search. We give Jesus the permission to, to go on a search. Search out my heart. Search out my mind. You, you know me. You, you understand me. Christ is a gentleman. He's going to wait until he's invited into that place. And so God, I, I'm giving you permission. And remember, you can trust the character of God. He's a loving father. He's going to do this in gentleness and truth, but also in gentleness and then try me. Try me. God, would you, would you test me? Would you reveal to me what my 
anxieties are and see if there's any wicked way. And then David understands the purpose of all of this is so God, you can lead me in the way of everlasting. How is this plank hurting our relationship with God? How is this plank hurting our relationship with others? Another one of the beatitudes that Jesus gives in Matthew's text is, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The plank prevents me from seeing God accurately. When my heart is pure, when God has cleansed me from sin, I can see God in an accurate light. It's never fun to be around somebody that's always hitting you with their plank. You know, you know what I'm saying? And then they're living in self-deception and usually it's your fault. Hey, you were in the way. That, that's why you got hit with my plank, right? It hurts relationships. You know, you may be hurting your spouse. You may be hurting your kids. You, you may be hurting your close friends. You may be in a place of wondering, well, why don't I have any healthy relationships? Well, could it be that there's sin that we don't see in our lives? And this plank, it's, it's affecting our relationship with God and it's affecting our relationship with others. And so this is what Jesus instructs us to do in verse 42 or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Number five is we must deal with our sin first. We must deal with my sin first. There's no problem in dealing with the speck in your brother's or sister's eye. It's an issue of first dealing with the plank. Because it's just not going to work, right? It's not going to work if I haven't dealt with the sin in my life and I'm trying to deal with the sin in someone else's life. Because if I deal with my sin first, it takes me deep into the mercy of God. It takes me deep into the grace of God. So now when I'm dealing with my brother or sister's speck, I'm doing it with an understanding of mercy. I don't know about you, if I, but if I've got a speck in my eye, I would really appreciate it if someone approached it with some gentleness. I kind of went to a, a unique school ministry in Southern Oregon. It was a, a one-year discipleship program, pastoral training, if you would, and we had classes that we took from the pastors, but they also wanted to teach us a trade, so we would build a, a small cabin, and it was small enough where it could be put on a semi and taken to a camp that the church owned. It was kind of basically a tiny house before tiny houses were, were a thing. And one day there in Southern Oregon, I just got something in my eye, some sawdust in my eye. My eye swelled up all shut and had to go to the urgent care to just get it washed out. And if someone would have gone through that process of washing my eye out and they did it in a harsh way, it would have been brutal. You know, I, I appreciated the gentleness in which they, they treated my eye. So when we deal with our sin first, it gives us that place of humility. It gives us that poor in spirit and we're pointing people to Jesus. So the problem is not with dealing with the speck, but it, it's first in understanding that I'm a sinner and that I'm saved by grace. So tonight, as we go through this, this section of scripture, 
and we come to the communion table is let's meet with the Lord and allow the Lord to remove the plank that may be in our eye and allow the Lord to to speak to us. And tonight might be the beginning of that process. God may show some things tonight as we're taking communion. He may start to reveal some things, or maybe he already has, and we've kind of been pushing it to the back. Or tonight, as we begin to pray Psalms 139, that God begins a process that may be a couple of months or through the next year or a couple of years where, where he's revealing and he's showing and he's saying, hey, here's some pride. You know, here's some bitterness. Here's, here's some selfishness. And he's doing this because he loves us to lead us in the way everlasting. The beauty of the communion table is we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. There's three instructions in communion. And the first is we look back. We look back to what Jesus did on the cross for us. We're to never forget this. We're to never be in a place where we're not mindful of this, that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed, that this is the blood of his new covenant. What makes Christianity so unique is it's not us trying to work to attain to a holy God. It's a holy God who came down and died on the cross for our sin so that we could be forgiven as we receive that free gift in faith. So we meditate upon his broken body and his shed blood that results in our salvation. But we're also to look within. We're to examine ourselves. We're to go through this process of inviting the Holy Spirit in to to reveal sin to us. And this is a, a healthy way of living before the Lord. It seems like planks in our eyes tend to grow quickly. You know what I'm saying? It's like maybe you deal with a a sin issue this week. There's probably going to be another sin issue next week and next month. This This is a way of living. This is living out, being poor in spirit. Lord, I know my heart. I know my heart's sinful. I'm giving you invitation to to search me. And as we go through that process, then we confess to the Lord and we receive his grace afresh. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Probably all have pots and pans that you cook with that you you scrub and you cleanse. And and God loves us as his vessel. And he say, "I'm, I'm ready to cleanse you. If you'll allow me, I'm ready to cleanse you. And that's what happens in communion. We're, we're spending time with the Lord. We're being intimate with the Lord and confessing before the Lord. And, oh, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And Jesus is the lifter of our head. I think you've noticed you can't take communion without lifting your head. And, and Jesus is lifting our head to him that, that we're forgiven by him. And then the third thing, our third instruction in communion is we proclaim his death till he comes. As times get more dark and more difficult, I find myself thinking more about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this, church. He is coming. He's coming. And and he's going to rule and reign, and we're to be faithful till the Lord comes back, but he's absolutely coming. And he wants us as a church being giddy about his coming, being excited about his coming, 
Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Lord, I'm looking forward to, to your coming. I'm looking forward to the rapture. I know where all of this is leading. You're going to make all things right. And then when we understand his coming, we can be in a place of confidence. We're not in a place of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And even all the things that we talked about prior to getting into the Bible study and what's going on in politics and what's going on in our our community. No, he's coming. He's returning. We just want to be faithful. We don't have to go through our days in in a place of, of fear. So allow the Lord to meet you tonight, to meet me tonight. Allow him to remove that plank and do a shift in our hearts where we go, wow, Father, you're merciful. And Lord, would you, would you make me merciful? Would you, would you cause me to be, be gracious that I could reflect the character of my Father, to be merciful? So would you stand with me and pray and we'll enter into communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you love us and you desire to sanctify us, reveal things to us. And we do invite this process. We invite you to to search us, to know us, to try us, to reveal sin and anxiety so that we could be led in the way everlasting. We don't want to assume tonight want to give you permission because we know you love us and you care for us. We pray that, Lord, communion would be just a, a great place of fellowship tonight, that you would meet us in a communion, that we would look back and look within and look forward to what you're going to do in your coming, that you are coming. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.